0: unbelievable in here with jesse diggins after the sprint showdown the fact that i am an olympian no matter what he says the skis were so fast i barely knew what to do with them do a couple of hours on the bed then and... you just won the junior race what are you gonna do now um i don't I don't know I, I I don't know if uh No I don't know quite I don't quite know how to answer that to be honest. Um Come on, you can do it. Come on, man. What is a perfect day for me? Huh Come on. Uh, uh. Starting the day with a nice breakfast quite early in the morning and then Silk was a bad choice. I would go out for a long ski trip. Uh that does make sense. Just go out from my house and just spend some hours in the nature and then come back and have an easy resting day. That does make sense. I love carpet. He's entitled to his opinion and, uh, you know, to voice his opinion. I was super nervous before the first races of the season like I always am. This ain't whether I lose or win. up or down ten. I'm to the end. Let's go. Ain't no way they can stop me now. Daddy cause I'm on my way. i feel my recon. Hello everyone, welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast. I am your host Ryan Cedarquist here broadcasting to you live from Shovel Lake Public Radio and we are brought to you by the United States Ski Pole Company, Sport Hill Vitamix and uh, Zoom Snacks yet? Have we gotten Zoom Snacks in on us yet? I guess Ralph is telling me that we're still trying to punch out the details. But we're so glad that you could join us here for today's show. we got a lot of things to talk about, so we're going to jump right into it. First of all, some reactions to the first few days of the Olympic trials. Here are some of my thoughts that I want to lay out for you, okay? First of all, can NBC just cover the events? I don't know about you, but I'm getting a bit... Uh, Nauseated by the uh, just oversaturation of the background story and drama behind some of these athletes. And it's not because I, I mean, I'm a storyteller. I like writing. I like storytelling. I like talking. So it's not so much a matter of that. They have that present. The thing that bothers me is just how prepared it is. And a uh, prepackaged and prepared. So they it's like before anything starts, you can just tell based on the amount of work they do well, I'll take Allison Felix, for example, but the, the amount of work they do to get some of these background stories developed, um and so with Felix they they had this big little special that they have and she's giving this talk reading a letter to her daughter and she's in like you know the banquet hall where they do the Emmys and it's just uh, it's so choreographed and and pre-sketched out it makes you wonder like what if Alice and Felix would have you know gotten out in the quarterfinals here like they still would have (laughs) spent a lot of money just making that one two-minute segment but Uh, that's the kind of stuff that just kind of bothers me that before these things have started, they have chosen the people that they are just going to blow up and hone in on uh, because they know that the, the casual viewer needs these uh, needs these inside stories. But, but what has happened is they've just, they've turned this sporting event into every, what every other type of TV is, you know, the reality TV uh, drama bit. And it's just nauseating. I think, I think as a, uh, honest sports covering station you you are responsible to tell the audience about these background stories um but you cannot you have to let the facts speak for themselves you can't come in with an agenda and and then go and find stories and and facts that meet that agenda, and that's what's happening here. These networks come in with themes that they wish to promote. They go and find athletes that will effectively promote that, and then even within those athlete stories, they pick and choose the facts and stories they want to highlight. Uh, and, and this is this is very interesting. I, I can't imagine being in the boardroom, the discussions when NBC or other networks kind of make these calls. Like their time is so limited, um, vocal space, audio space, visual space is so limited, um, and and then you've got so much money tied up into it. I, I can't imagine being. <laughs> What the dynamics of those conversations are like, you know, are we going to hone in on this message? What about this message? Will we turn off these viewers if we focus on this? Um, what if this athlete doesn't come through? Should we be focusing on this athlete and their story because of this theme? Uh, it, it it would be kind of a nightmare, but, but I, I think my advice then is just cover the events. You know, I I would assign people to, to, um, I mean, do your do your diligence, do your deep research, be your Jim McKay, know the background stories for all these athletes, um, and especially the ones, obviously that that you think uh, could be moving on throughout the trials and advancing to the finals. Um, But sometimes the most interesting stories are for athletes that aren't. You know, we brought up Sarah Lancaster on on one of our last shows, the full-time attorney. She went to the University of Texas on a tennis scholarship, played for four years, then in her fifth year, joined the basketball team, D1, University of Texas. Incredible, right? Graduates, go to law school, become an attorney at 33 years old or 31 years old, picks up running for fun. And three years later, she's training and makes the Olympic trials in the 1500 and the 5K, literally. running world-class times I mean you're talking about a world-class athlete you know five foot ten tall lanky um female athlete in mid-30s who's qualifying the Olympic trials in an event in a sport in really her third sport that's the kind of stuff that's interesting you know and and they can hone in on some of the beauty the cool stories like that and that that received just a barely a notice. Uh, by Kara Goucher. I mean, I think if you're if you're coming in here, you ought to do your pre-produced events. I'm not saying Felix doesn't have warrant here. We're going to get to Allison. I think she has, it's worthy to focus on her story because it's a great one. I just think they did a terrible job uh, doing it. But the, uh, the there's many stories in these Olympic trials that are beautiful and that deserve to be highlighted. Uh, I can think of a few off, off the top, right? Sarah Lancaster's one. Um, I would have highlighted a little more Kenny Harrison. Kenny Harrison was in the 2016 trials in 100-meter 100, 100 hurdles Uh, and she was fourth, I believe, in the trials. She missed the team. Then, a week later, went out and set the world record. Our 100-meter hurdles team was so deep that the fourth runner was likely to be the fourth best in the world and not make it. So that was Kenny Harrison, and then she went on in 2019 to win a, a gold medal at the world championships. She misses 2020, obviously, like everyone else. So 2021, here she is five years later, hasn't even made an Olympic team, and she's a world champion and the world record holder in her event. I mean, talk about the pressure. you know. And, and they did decide when she won her event, they came in, they interviewed her. But but that's the kind of stuff where like, how about those five years? How interesting and fascinating would that have been to highlight what her struggles were, some of the things that are going on? Um, th- that could have had maybe even a little more buildup, especially an event that the that, that people are a little bit less apt to naturally maybe be attracted to. You know, the 100-meter dash, everyone kind of gets it, fastest person right, some people maybe a little bit in those mid-distance, like the mile they might kind of come to, and then, yeah, you've got your stars that you've manufactured for us, NBC, you know, part of the reason everyone knows Alison Felix is because she was, you know, 17 years old when she made it to Sydney, and that's sweet, but another reason is because she's a beautiful, successful athlete, and NBC saw the marketing value there, and they, they've been blowing up her story ever since, and so no matter what, she she could have showed up having not trained for weeks and they would have had all these specials blaring. That's the part that bothers me. So know the stories. Know the background stories. Don't come in with a preconceived agenda. Let the athletes do their work. Focus on covering the... Um, focus on covering the actual events mostly don't turn this into reality tv um highlight a few stories if you'd like i i think actually just don't overdo it don't ever have a feature like they did with felix where you take three minutes and you go to the backstage and i feel like all of a sudden i'm watching american idol or i'm watching the bachelor i don't want to feel like that when i'm watching the olympic trials i would rather have um you know before each event I'm actually maybe just listening to an announcer with some pictures, videos, images on the screen, and they're telling me the three or four most fascinating um, stories behind the event. You know, I, I I don't know that that is actually something to think about, right? Every single event comes up; they've got plenty of time in between it. Tell us the two or three. Uh, Tell us the main storyline going to this event, who's relevant, who's done stuff, who are the favorites. Tell us one or two or three incredibly ridiculous stories, right? The underdogs, the crazy coming back, lost sponsorship, became a mom, those things that are fun. Tell us that stuff and then get on with the event. Don't come in with, these are the stars you should be focusing on. It's just annoying. You know, it's just, it's just annoying. It's nauseating. So that's what I'm sick of. I think NBC does a terrible job. Now, let me tell you about th- what they did on Allison Felix. And I like Allison Felix. I'm a big Felix fan. And I think actually what's happened to her in the last three or four years uh, probably makes me more of a fan of her. So they, they, um, they've been covering her since the quarterfinals. She's in the 400. If you don't know Felix, okay, she's a superstar. Most, um, most world medals, I think, of any sprinter, male or female she is trying out for her fifth olympic games here. she's what 33, 34 somewhere in that uh oh, she's on the upper end, right, for sprinters especially. but the crazy thing is is that she gave birth to her daughter a couple of years ago um and it was not a super easy uh pregnancy birthing process, I, I i think. i don't know the hardcore details on that. uh but i i think she was actually in i think she was in the nicu for a while and <clears throat> um, during that process did not receive much support from her then sponsor Nike, right biggest biggest sports company in the world, the brand she's a superstar and I mean if you've been to the Nike outlets you see you see Allison Felix on posters everywhere. So she she's one of their big ones. She's like Nadal, she's like Federer she's I mean obviously no one's like Jordan or LeBron, but she's in that same ballpark with Serena, Kobe, et cetera. Uh, and so Nike is like, well, you're mom, you're probably done with your career. Like, we're just going to drop you right. Cold, hard, regular Nike stuff. And Felix <laughs> signs with Athleta or Athleta. I'm not sure how to say the brand name and ma- mounts this comeback and wants to prove to uh, everyone uh, that she still got it. Wants to show her daughter who mom was, make an Olympic team and do all that. Okay. So she sets out and and um, I think some of her, you know, her comeback trail wasn't just like um, um, Faith faith Kip-Yeg on, I think it was, the Kenyan 1500 runner who's like eight months later, she comes out and runs 357 in the 1500, I, I something like that. It wasn't quite like that, but she comes in gradually making her way back. Of course, she's the talk of the trials leading up to it because she's such a big star and, and NBC blows that up and... That she's running the four hundred, they cover her from quarterfinals through, and I think it was before the semifinals when I saw the big segment on her that was like you know two or three minutes long. She's reading this emotional letter. Here's the part that was that was frustrating. They had this opportunity to make the theme of that about. Um, a, a powerful, celebrate motherhood, celebrate women being strong, celebrate an athlete who stood up to Nike in the face of being a mom and succeeded. Because this whole idea of mom's um, being con- treated really unfairly, to be honest, in the sport of track and field, this is actually quite an epidemic. And, and if you're a skiologian fan, if you are one of my Christian brothers or sisters who are like listening in, pay attention right now, too, because I think this goes deep. Um, you have Nike is cruel to all athletes in terms of track and field, but probably all sports, but especially track and field, male or female, any event. It's just very cut and um, uh, cutthroat, Okay. But for female track and a- track and field athletes, when you are going on a four-year calendar window and you've got to make sure you're producing results and showing that you've got potential, deciding to become a mom is a an absolutely disastrous death sentence of a decision. You, I mean, it's it's an it's a way for Nike to go. You're done, uh, absolutely, because. Because the time off ruins your your production, obviously, for a whole year, really two years, okay? So they lose all that. plus coming back from it's it's difficult to do. so so they're basing their their value on you two on your potential value. So you lose that. and you probably miss an Olympic cycle. Uh, it's it's a death sentence. And we see in uh, the sprints especially, but also upper distance events, where you have, kind of a known trend of abortions being very common amongst female sprinters and female middle distance athletes. It's, it's, it's quite common. And in fact, I think it was Sonia Richards Ross, who very recently was kind of talking about how she had had several, several abortions during her professional career. And, and in some ways it's like, that is an incredible, a uh, scenario that you've placed them in incredibly difficult scenario, right? Where your life is on the line, your career is on the line, literally providing for yourself is kind of on the line. Um, in terms of, do I have this kid or not? And so, Felix, you know, who knows if she has had abortions, you know, throughout her prime, but she decides to have a kid, and and there's been others who have done that as well, and they just are kind of dropped and not supported by their sponsor. You know, they don't really have this maternity leave sort of built in. So Felix really is kind of the ultimate champion of this in terms of you know Nike dropping her, which would be a huge blow, and then going, you know what? I don't think I'm done. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be kind of a leader in this area and, and come back and succeed. And she has done this. I think other companies, Wazelle, other female sports uh, companies have kind of come around and go, OK, how do we provide for the female athlete specifically? And what, what do we, how do we meet their needs? And we want to celebrate motherhood. This could have been the theme this could have been the theme. Instead, they kind of tried to take that and sort of mix it in with like this uh, civil rights thing, sort of a Black Lives Matter conglomeration. Um, also just sort of a, it was too uh, too much of a feminist women empowerment, not just like a, a unifying uh, women empowerment movement. And it was all those things. The agenda was... Was clearly not one that should have been unifying, but it was also very unclear in what it was. It was actually just a poorly done message, mostly because the theme and thesis was was just so unclear, um, and, and that was frustrating. It's like they really just they took a great potential theme story here with a super mega star athlete and tried to kind of woke eyes it, you know, make it woke and and it's like you know what you you probably would have very much pleased the quote woke audience if you had just kind of said these things and instead they tried to kind of twist her story about something it wasn't really about and that's not to say Felix isn't is i think you know probably an activist when it comes to civil rights and all of that as well but but keep in mind she is competing in an event in a sport largely dominated by African American athletes, so I'm not sure if Felix is like—it's uh, not quite the same as as some other areas, professions, and such. Um, and, and I think there's something maybe to be said about that. But um, she's done very well for herself in terms of access to education, to uh, um, athletic performance. She's been at the highest level. She's risen. She's a success story. So I don't know. I don't think the theme of that story is. Um, I've been limited because of my race. I think the theme of that story is look at how high I've come. And yet companies like Nike, just, they, they throw me out like trash. The second I want to have a kid, well, I'm going to show them wrong. I'm going to prove to them that I can be a mom, that I can be a good athlete and that I could do things right. And that there's other companies around here that are, are willing to believe in that and support me through it. Right? Like, I don't know. And it kind of makes you wonder if the whole, reason they they didn't even bring up anything about the Nike situation like I I wonder if Nike is so powerful they would have said you dare touch on that tread in the, those waters and, and you're gonna regret it. it it does make you wonder that so that was kind of the first take I have here from our Olympic trust. hot takes coming to you here on the Cedar Skewer Podcast. Let's go to another one. Let's go back down to the track, one of our favorite athletes. What are your thoughts? What are you feeling? Oh, uh, my thoughts is I know this is basically the biggest race of my life, biggest um, track meet of my life, but continue to think this is what I do on a day-to-day basis, so coming into the meet, just another day, another another me. It must be challenging to try to hold yourself together in this preliminary round because it seems like you just want to explode. How do you manage each round to get to that final to then try and make the team? First of all, hold on. Hey, Mom! <laughs> okay. Hey, y'all. But um, definitely just coming into this first round, of course, every time I touch the track, I want to do what it is that I was, I'm capable of doing. But of course, me and Coach, we've talked, we understand. Um Race by race, round by round, give them hell every time. All right, Shakari, that's a heck of a start. <laughs> you, America knows who you are now. And it's Shakari. 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 We got it. And then there is this one. Take us through the emotion right now. Well, emotionally, unbelievable. The fact that I am an Olympian, no matter what is said. Okay, so Shakari Richardson, super talented, awesome, crazy fast. Right? She's kind of small small short stature athlete uh which just kind of adds to it all too especially the 100 um it's fascinating how she has the just blazing top end speed which i think is typical more of our of uh, taller athletes they can once they get going right their stride length is longer and you you think of bolt and uh, they're going to have top end speed but Shakari Shakari Richardson uh, her knee drive and her form is so excellent. She's so explosive. She, she um, actually has the fastest top end speed too, and she's kind of struggling at the start. So it's funny because I think her best event actually is almost the 200 um, because her top end speed is so crazy. But she's really been crazy in the 100 too, NBC blowing that story up, obviously. And, and I think that's kind of cool. She's a star you're going to hear more about. Um, things that I, I kind of – I mean it's fa- – I like having an, an athlete who's – who is not afraid to just speak their mind to some degree too she's she is kind of a loose cannon in 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 the interview room right she's she's probably gonna say things um and and she'll defend herself by saying you know i'm not afraid i'm just gonna say what what needs to be said but i think sometimes that's a a weak cover-up for athletes too who are who are not always well spoken and respectful in front of the mic as well because sometimes tact and intent and purpose and clarity and carefulness uh, when you are in on a big stage, that's harder. I won't say sometimes. That's always. That's always more difficult than being brash. So sure, being brash requires some bravery and boldness. And uh, there's people who don't want to do that either. You know, the the majority fills uh, fits in the cliche category, cliche crowd. Um, but there are some athletes who are just – and this is the most rare – who have taken the time to think out and are well-spoken and um, and provide messages that are very meaningful. So I'm entertained by Shakari when she is competing and when she's talking. And I think it's great. And I think the circus is fun that, you know, they talked about how in the background in the warm-up area, she has 15 to 20 people following her around at all times so that everyone always knows where Shakeri Richardson is. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of the ego thing. It's a little bit of the, the whole reality TV bachelor thing I was talking about before, though, where NBC loves it for different reasons. Right. Um, and it's going to bring fans to the sport. Now the fact that it is going to attract fans and drama and storylines to the sport, I guess, as a supporter of the sport, I'm, I'm somewhat okay with that. I think you need a few athletes like that. Um, I think it's fun to have a few athletes like that. I don't think it should take away from other things, though. And I think some, some, in some ways NBC has done that because they've kind of diminished a more incredible story in the 100-meter men's champ, Trayvon Bromel. Uh, Bromel made the 2015 Worlds team and won a bronze medal. Uh, in 2015, I should check this, how old Bromel was. Trayvon Bromel. So Bromel, you, you might even remember Bromel, being oh, 1995 is when he was born. So he was 20 years old when he won a bronze medal. Um, <clears throat> he ran 9.97 as a junior, first junior to break 10 seconds. Okay, so he, he, he was the 2016 World Indoor Champion in the 60. So he was a world champion even at age 20 uh was the world junior record holder in the hundred um ncaa meet did he win the NCAA's? yes he won an ncaa championship ran 9.77 at the big 12s his freshman year so just a superstar right coming right out the gate um qualified for the the four by one okay so he goes to world's wins gold right 2016 goes to the olympics And the Olympics is kind of crazy. How he was in the hundred meter heat, and he made the finals. Then he, where is it here? I know it in the four by one. Oh, this doesn't really tell tell the injury details. Where is this? I need to find his injury injury information. Wow, Wikipedia tore his Achilles. okay he tore his achilles it says again so i'm not sure he must have tore his achilles twice i know in the 100 meter finals he finished eighth he he was kind of hurt i think at the time but in the four by one he dove as the anchor leg tore his achilles and then they got the bronze medal but they were actually disqualified but basically out of the sport after that so 2017, 2018, blah, blah, blah. He didn't return until 2021. And he's had just a been on a tear since then, ran 9.77. He won the Olympic trials yesterday in the hundred. Now, um Bromel Bromel is one who's attributing a lot of his resurgence and his comeback to as proof that God is real. And there's, there's obviously part of me that's a fan of that and part of me that's not as much of a fan of that. I can, I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, first, I just want to think, say that if t- in terms of talking about this production fest that NBC gets behind, I find it not surprising that they're they're not spending a lot of time with Bromel, um, despite the fact that his comeback is insane, right? In an event that's maybe the most difficult to come back from an Achilles injury. Uh, Bromel... So let's let's talk about Bromel and his his faith. I'm not super um, positive about what his what exactly his faith, um, like his doctrine and theology and all that is. I think he's a little more on the um uh, what's the word that I'm looking for here not Pentecostal uh, kind of Pentecostal side of things um, very much. You know, um, flamboyant in in his faith talk. One thing I'll give him credit for is when he's in front of a mic, he goes above, out of his way, over and above on going God this, God that, God, God, God. He makes he makes no qualms about it, and he's very he's like Shikari, only talking about God to the point where I'm sure it's it's a little bit like, dude, you didn't even answer the question at all. That's kind of annoying. You know? But but there is an element of when you get on this stage and you have a platform, when you redirect it that to that extreme, you are making a point to everyone that like I am so adamant about about redirecting the attention to God that I'm going to take your question and just not even really address it at all. And Bromel can kind of do that, and and he just, um, but but he's very much like a, hey, God is real. Can't you see? Look at what He's done for me. God is real. The part that makes me a little bit uh, not not as much a fan of that of that approach is that you know the doubter can just go. Okay, well, God's not real. Look at all this stuff. Look at all this disaster in the world. Look at all this destruction. Look at all this sadness, death, anger. Right? Like, so Brumell's argument for God being real doesn't hold up on that basis. And I think that's that's one thing that can kind of make it um, less effective. Maybe is the way of saying it. So this kind of brings us to a, a point of I've know we noticed last night. My wife and I were watching every single event. Tons of people giving God the glory when the mic is thrust in front of them. And this was every sprint event, like the entire 400, right? You had Felix, you had Quinnisha Harris, Hayes, Quinnira Hayes can't even remember the winner, right? There was so much focus on Felix getting third. But every single one of them, they all got together in this group. And Ron Johnson, not Ron Johnson, oh my gosh, I can't That's the uh, K-Fan guy. Whatever, whoever the interview guy is, he's going right down the line. And they all were, in their own way, giving glory to God in, to different degrees. And I'll start with Hayes because she was the one I think did the best job of any athlete in the whole meet. And there were many because it was all the men's winners, the hundred, the, uh, the hundred hurdles for the women. Every final, it was just like right down the line. Yeah, I just want to thank God, give God the glory. You know, this is all for him, These that sort of thing. And uh, Hayes, you could tell there was an authentic, an authenticity behind it where her concern, I guess, was a little more aligned with what I think an athlete should do is, look, I've got a spotlight on me. I just want to Um, I want to politely redirect that to the only thing deserving of glory. That's a good approach, right? Because we are idolizing and pedestalizing these athletes in this moment and they're the the gold medal thing, right? And you've qualified for the Olympics, right? Heaven here on earth and you are a God amongst men. And that's kind of what we we throw down these athletes. So for Hayes to kind of go, I just want to pull I want to redirect this glory to God, redirect the focus to God. instead of looking at me, I want you to see, to see his glory. And she also said, and I want I came into this race knowing whether I'm last or first, I'm going to point to God. And I want to redirect the focus there. That's a great prayer and that's a great ID idea. Uh, for an athlete, okay? The others, I think this is the more cliche response, right, of want to thank my family, want to thank God, right, just kind of gets thrown in there. You see that sometimes too, and and that's fine. I'm not like criticizing that at all. I think when that happens, you don't don't really get an inside look at their theologies. You don't really know where it's coming from and like what God are you talking about, (laughs) you know, like uh, because that's critical too, I think, as a Christian, right? Um, You know, I'm not I'm not going to go, yeah, all praise and glory to all all the false gods, too, right? The one true God is the only one deserving of this glory and praise and honor. So sometimes when there's kind of those just this happen, it's, it's you're like, okay, whatever. It's better than them them being like really egotistical or using this moment to, to light flames under, the, you know, other people's butts or whatever. So I liked Hayes the most. Uh, Bromel. Bromel is a little more of the um, the type of athlete that – and others, not just Bromel, like this – where they attribute their success to God in a way that makes God seem like sort of this mystical potion. Like, uh, can you believe this rise? How did you get here? And then they go, man, like it's it's all what God did, right? And well, there is truth in that, there's also truth that like everything that happens for all people – is, is only by this, the decree, of will of God too. Like he is the one that's authoritatively acting in this universe. He's the God of this universe. So all things that happen to all people are, are, you know, wor- the work, uh, working of his hands. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, cool. But Um, you make it sound like it's like, hey, if you believe in God, it's this mystical potion and it can even make you make it to the Olympic trials. Like anything that can't be explained or anything that seems too amazing, um, just attribute that to God. But like day-to-day stuff, my heart beating and, and me being able to swallow food and think, well, that's obviously just everyone has that. No, that's wrong. Like your very ability to not... Like the very life inside of you, every atom functioning the way it should in your body is is being held together by the awesome authority of God too. So I think it, it diminishes that and it kind of turns God into this only miracle worker, sort of the God of the gaps. Like we don't really – can't really explain it. It's just this mystical, spiritual thing. And I don't think that's necessarily beneficial to those who are lost. Those who are Christians can kind of uh, be praiseworthy right alongside you. Um, so anyway, you're probably like, wow, right didn't expect you to critique all these people who are giving God the glory. Like, isn't that a good thing? Um, and so here's what I, I would like to say about that. I was like, well, what would I say if I was into, you know, given this, this platform? And here's what I would do. I would kind of take a haze approach a little bit. I'd want to, you know, redirect the focus to God, but I would, I would do it in a unique way. I think I'd say, look, win, lose, draw injury, everything which happens to any of us only happens, um, in accordance with the sovereign God of this universe and his decree, according to the good intentions of his will. I could try to explain all the ups and downs that brought me here, but I don't have the whole picture. Only he does. Instead, I can give you the promise I know is true, that all things happen for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This victory tastes sweet, and it's only by God's good pleasure that it has happened, but I could say the same thing if I would placed last or if I was working over at Tracktown Pizza tonight. All of us, no matter what we do, are called to be the best versions of ourselves as, as possible so that we can honor and glorify our Creator by maximizing the talents He's given us. And that goes for you too, Mr. Interviewer. so you better have a good, well-thought-out question to ask me next. You know, I keep it kind of short and sweet, but point to the the fact that Sure, I won this race, but my stance on who God is wouldn't change whether I at first, whether I got last, or whether I wasn't here altogether. Like my value isn't 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 determined by the outcomes of this event. Um, also, God's God's power is not based upon the outcomes of this event for me either. Um, and, and I think that's something that can is easily missed if you're just looking at whoa Trayvon Brumel won he gives glory to God. I guess God's only powerful if he makes you win Olympic trials you know God's only working meaningfully if he's making you work win Olympic trials and I would try to redirect that focus to go look you and I we have good things that happen in our lives we have bad things that happen in our lives and every single one of them is in accordance uh, with the will the decreetive will of God for the purpose of glorifying him. so you're called to be the best version of you And whatever you're doing, track town pizza worker, bus boy, track and field athlete, teacher, doctor, mom, whatever, you know, and I would try to kind of throw that challenge back onto people to see their lives as being meaningful and they should be striving for excellence just like an Olympian does uh, because of that not because of some worldly standard because i think some people go oh yeah you're an olympic athlete it makes sense that you would really be not cutting any corners and really doing everything you can striving for just the highest form of excellence in your craft but you know me i'm just i'm just a regular teacher you know i'm a third grade teacher or i work at the coffee shop i'm a barista like i mean yeah i'm going to do good enough but I'm not gonna be like an Olympian type regiment towards my craft of being a barista or a teacher. And and I would try and go, no, 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 see, it's not about like the world has just decided to idolize and pedestalize me as an athlete, but but in God's eyes, you're ultimately working for him. And so there's your value, there's your purpose. So I'd kind of throw it back that way I and mean, then, you know, kind of throw it back to the interviewer too, like you're being you're doing the best that you can in this position and, and make it about you. And, and then if you ask me the next question, then I might take the bromel response. Like let's say he says, okay, well, what are your plans for you know, getting ready for Tokyo? Are you excited? And I'd be like, you know, in answer to that next question, I would be not living my belief out if I didn't try to use this platform to tell you something way more important than my goals going to Tokyo. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Repent. Turn from your life of sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith through grace in him. Nothing else. Thank you. And I would just like, you know, the shock factor, I think, of that would maybe hit someone. And then the message that I'm giving is the gospel. And there's no more powerful message than that. So if you're going to use your platform for something, maybe do it for that. As far as the, if there was my little skiologian segment of the show, by the way. Um, as far as some of the results in this event, what happened, what didn't happen? Well, one thing I think in the women's hundred, we didn't really get this rivalry showdown between Shakari, you know, the college star in 2019 who went pro, and then Cambria Sturgis and Twanisha Taylors and these other college stars. They were ousted before the finals. So, again, all these events, it's like I've tried this year on my Let's Run predictions to just start choosing, you know, the most outlandish results to no avail. And it just seems I'm just terrible at it. You know, if I'm sensible and you kind of predict the the people who are supposed to win the favorites, of course that doesn't happen. And then then when you try to go, okay, well I'm gonna try to pick the unexpected, it's just hopeless. It's just hopeless. And and part of it is because this trial's as as amazing of a meet as it is and it's such a high stakes event. Um, you do, I think have some cases where athletes are coming in and they maybe have earned the, the right to compete because of a time that was run, you know, eight months beforehand, you just never know what their fitness or injury status is. So they might be a mystery completely, but have a big name and then they show up and then they drop out, you know, stuff like that. That's not all that uncommon. And this year with the two year gap holdover, I think it's probably even worse, uh, the women's 15, my big thing, Sarah Lancaster did not advance. That was a bummer. Um, and I think she, she was in the slow heat and they closed in like a 201 for their last 800. It was or something ridiculous. I think it was a 62 and then like a 60 for the winner. So maybe the group was kind of coming through in like a 205, um, probably more like that. They went out really slow though, seventy-two seconds for the first lap. And Lancaster, I thought it was interesting. She did a, she ran tactically very smart. She was right there, went with the the group that moved, was in the top um, top six, seven right? Um, And she just ran really smart. She also had a a shocking amount of closing speed, I thought, you know, for someone kind of new to the game. I, I get that she has the explosive background, but that's way different than closing a 400 and a 1500, you know, just being explosive from that. So I thought she did the best she could, but you could tell it was like, you know, you did not have the closing speed that was required to stay with these guys. Like she would have been totally fine had she been in the second heat she would have advanced I think for sure because they ran a little more honest pace all throughout and I think um, now looking back you know I guess if she was in the 5k I'd probably be saying this that oh she should have done the 15 Um, but but part of me wishes she had done the 5k because I think well no question she makes the final and then the final anything could happen uh, and she just seems kind of gritty and tough. So, bummer, 15 and 5K, they did not make that double possible. Uh, that Both those events, the prelims were both on the same day, and the finals are both on the same day. So, uh, ladies had to choose between those two, and uh, that's just kind of, it's frustrating. Like, they should make those, dist- they should have the schedule set up so that in both the trials and the actual Olympics so that you could do those reasonable doubles, and they just don't. So, that's kind of sad. All right, so another, another oh, the 10K, men's 10K. I was really pleased with the outcome in terms of sending Fisher, sending Klecker, the Minnesota guy, uh, to uh, on our Olympic team. They ran phenomenal races and ran smart. And, and Klecker's strong. I think he's he's it's great to see him. I'm just a fan of who he is, so I was happy to see that. Same Fisher, he's kind of humble. Um, Canadian American dual dual citizenship. He could have gotten race for Canada. It probably would have been a smart decision for him to not do that since they currently have Justin Knight. And, um, who's their top guy? Muhammad. uh, I can't remember. He's the Wisconsin guy. Ahmed Mohamed. Mohamed Ahmed. I think that's Mohamed. So they're both, you know, 1248, 1253 guys. They're both faster than the American record holder. So Fisher being here, he kind of, you know, lucked out getting in on the 10K. And then the winner, kind of a cool story too. Um, uh, I can't think of his name now. Um, he's the Portland runner. Crazy, um, crazy kick at the end. He looked he looked uh, insanely strong, out kicking Fisher, making Fisher look like he was standing still. The name's probably going to come to me the second that I end this show. Woody Kincaid. That's who it was. Woody Kincaid. Woody Kincaid had. Woody Kincaid, um, had a Bowman Track Club athlete. He's had a stealth kick for a while now, but had injuries kind of through college, so didn't really <clears throat> have a stellar career there at Portland State. So, um, he's kind of a cool guy to watch. I mean, he's sort of, sort of looks like a poor man's Galen Rupp, you know, where you've got incredible speed kind of deceptively cloaked there and a tall, tall, skinny, uh, long distance runner. Um, but yeah, his speed and you need that on the world stage if you want to be relevant. So that's someone I think, um, kind of gives us a fighting chance almost in the 10 K. I think, I guess I don't really know what to, what to make of Klecker's speed, I I know Fisher used to have really good speed, but Kincaid really made his, you know, finishing kick look like nothing in this race. So, you know, after watching that, I think you kind of go, well, Klecker has this blend of strength and speed kind of, right? He's got the pedigree of his parents as 50-mile world record holder, uh, marathon trials champion, those sort of things. Uh, But then also he was a 406 miler in high school, and... Um, has just kind of slowly been moving up in distance. Um, so that that's that's something where it's like ugh, I don't know what kind of race would give him necessarily the best chance to win because it just kind of seems like hey, no matter what the race is, you got to be able to close on like a fifty, you know, if you wanna if you wanna win or hang on for a twenty six twenty five ride, which we might have at the Olympics in the men's ten k. So anyway, uh, one last topic here, running related, and I was listening to the D three glory days podcast. That is Noah Drati. Noah Drati is a former D three runner who, you know, burst onto the scene in 2016 with his mustache mullet look and running the 10k And has sense now moved to Boulder. and He runs about 60, 60 to 61 minutes, I think in the half marathon. So kind of a cool cult following Noah Drati has, and he's got his own podcast where he, he reminisces on D three glory days. And then has like guests on, you know, big D three stars. So Emily Pomainville, I'm not sure, is it Pomainville? I think it might be Pomainville, actually, which I just thought was Pomainville, but Pomainville. She was on the show. Emily, we talked about her on one of our other podcasts, so I won't give you too much of the deep dive, but basically, you know, coming out of high school was a 520 miler, uh, went to SUNY Giannisio, and for three years literally just maintained that performance level then we had the covid year and then this year you know she she really burst onto the scene um going from 455 in the 1500 all the way down to the record 413 which she ran in the prelims okay so she's on the d3 podcast i'm expecting and, and anticipating excited for some some interview questions to kind of learn more about this story now, one thing that came to mind right away for me as I'm listening was a little bit of frustration, kind of wondering, the, are we now, you know, in the TikTok generation, is the well-spoken athlete capable of reflection and analyzation and um, mature, analytical, clear responses, comprehensive responses? Is that just gone now? Because this felt it was frustrating at times when they would ask a question and some of these questions were terrible because it was like a yes or no question or how would you grade yours or what grade would you give you give yourself on this meet?" It's like man this is a this is an interviewee who is you're gonna have to try to pull out answers so you're not really doing yourself a favor by a- asking questions that can be answered with one word. but even on some that were it was very there was sometimes a you know, I don't know, or yeah, <laughs> laugh, and that's it, and um, that was frustrating, and the, the big one that she needed to answer in this interview that I think everyone should be wondering is, how do you go from three years staying in the sport, but running, you know, 520 miles, to running a 413-1500, you know, how do you explain that, and a, a thoughtful response, again, should address you know, well, here was kind of the mindset those first three years and how that changed. Here was the training those first few years, how that changed. Here are the other factors, I think, kind of contributing to that. Um, and, And this is what I think, you know, really ultimately led to that. It's quite the story. Here's all the things that are part of it. Here's all the components. And it was, again, it was like, she kind of just neglected all that and skipped right ahead to, well, everything sort of happened really fast. It's like you missed the heart of this question. I I, I get it. I know. Yeah, you, you opened up the year in March and ran like a 4.50 – and that was your PR, you know, but then you you proceeded to go 450, 430, 422, 413. And by the way, why'd you run 413 in the prelims? That's like the stupidest thing ever, right? Like you are at this point, the the national leader, right? Like why are you trying to set the record in the prelim for crying out loud? I could see you doing it in the final, but what's the point here, right? There's so many elements to her, to her story that are very mysterious and really need an explanation. And she's just not really capable of doing it. So that was like the this tension the whole interview where I'm thinking seems like something's up here, right? Um, so kind of frustrating at times. But there was this other side of that that it seemed also that maybe more than I gave her credit for, she really did have this ability to think through things in how she did answer that question. And perhaps there was an, an air of her being just kind of humble, Um, She mentioned that she is not someone who likes the attention and the spotlight, and how the recent events have really put her in a place where she's uncomfortable. You could kind of tell that even without watching. I'm sure you know if you could see the interview, you'd even see that more. But but I think there was a part where it's like, look, I just kind of want to do me. I'm kind of humble. This is how I approach the sport. I don't really want to talk about it, right? I kind of appreciate that and can like that. So here's some. What are the things that we can all learn from Emily Palminville? Well, first of all, the first point that comes up quick in the interview is she didn't really care about winning. She cared mostly about getting the most of herself. You could tell, uh, and she said that pretty point blank, actually, and it was was pretty shocking, you know, when they kind of said, hey, what was the plan going into the prelims? Like, you ran super fast time. What were you kind of thinking here? And, And she is just like, she kind of said something along the lines of, yeah, winning's great. You know, it's, it's okay. But really like, I want to be satisfied with how I perform. So for me, I want to go out there and lay down an incredible time because I can have that forever. Like there's new NCAA champions every single year, but they can't take away a 413 time, right? I'll get to sit on that for the rest of my life and I, and be satisfied. And so I was like, that's a great answer. You know, like, it kind of brings I think there's going to be people who go no it's not right the main point of sports is to win that's the objective okay i get that but but i should play the clip from the 1948 winter olympic documentary where they say you know the whole point of sport is this higher ideal of <clears throat> maximizing your potential and and going out there and competing against yourself right so that that part really shown through in emily which i thought was Amazing, you know. I was like, "Wow, this is a message more people need to hear." And how about that? You know, I just critiqued her for, "Wow, you went out and ran this record in the prelims." There's nothing to gain from that, and yet I'm like, well, "How how more boldly could you possibly live out and prove to people that you actually truly believe what you just said about sport being about um, competing against yourself?" She actually truly did that. She she literally is like, "Hey, prelims. Here's a good day. Here's an opportunity." I, you know, she, she is the favorite to win the event by a lot. Uh, but she, and she decided instead to just literally time trial the prelim one by 30 seconds and ran four thirteen, new NCAA record. I give her tons of credit for that. I think that's something we could all learn from. Uh, next, next part is <laughs> she, so then they ask her kind of question about her progression, right? Like we see that you were, you know, it's not like you were nothing in high school. PRs in high school, I think it was 218 and four, actually, she might've had a 443 in high school in the 1500, not the mile. Okay. So still that's, you know, 505, right? 218, 505. That seems about right. And she said, well, I went to a small school. Those were all school records. I really wasn't pushed. Um, She's was probably the focus of the attention completely. So she kind of wanted to go to a college where she could just sort of not be the main focus, you know, slipping with 35 other runners and just kind of enjoy the sport. So initially I'm like, oh, you're one of those runners, right? That like you're just going to throw away this potential and you just want to have the experience, right? And be a part of a team and just not care and don't put pressure on yourself. And that bummed bummed me out a little bit because here I just was on the big, the bandwagon, like, yeah, Emily, you're great, right? Get the most out of yourself. This is awesome. Don't even care about winning. Just care about competing against yourself. That's sweet. And then she kind of talks about, oh, yeah, in high school, I was just kind of like, you know, I was pretty good. I won all the time, and I, I wanted to go to a place where I could sort of disappear basically and not have to worry about living up to my my own expectations for myself. But she really was pretty forthright in saying, hey, the goal was to just have fun and to enjoy all these things that kind of have this balance. That's what I got from it. And I think there's there can be benefit to that, right? is, had she kind of gotten in going, all right, I've never been challenged. Let's go to a place. Let's find out what I can really do. If she had done that right away, there's definitely a chance, you know, she burns out. She doesn't really, um, she does put too much pressure on herself and it doesn't work out. So I think this is kind of an interesting strategy that obviously ended up working out well for her. And so her main goal, first three years, is just to enjoy everything about the experience of being in college and running. Now, I give her credit for obviously seeing value in the sport, not quitting. There are a lot of college people who do that. They go in going, yeah, I, you know, I ran competitively in high school. That was a different pressured environment. Now I'm just going to go and have some fun, you know, and then they're, they're out of the sport in a year because they kind of realize like with running, you have to have a certain level of commitment that's not super easy in order to just kind of maintain your level of fun in the sport. So they often give it up and she did not do that. So I found that, you know, kind of unique to be honest. Well, then COVID comes, and, and she makes a statement, very incredible realization. She says, "I realized that being good could also be fun." That's pretty cool, you know. The the she came to that on her own terms, which is why it was powerful. This is something as coaches and parents, I think we have to be careful as we introduce young people to sport is we don't try to pressure them into realizing that those, those things being good and having fun aren't mutually exclusive. You know, it's a, it's, it's the right, it's the place where we want them to end up. But a lot of athletes need to get there on their own. They need to um, realize, wow, I really am talented. Like I shouldn't just waste this. I I'm going to try and pursue a little more high level performance excellence in the sport. And, And by golly, that's actually kind of fun too, you know, because there are some people, I think, especially the ones who are talented at a young age, they feel the weight of expectations and pressure. And so they might need a period like Emily had those three years in college where you're like, you know, I'm just going to take a step back and I'm not really going to worry about outcome here. I'm I'm just going to worry or I'm just going to, you know, concern myself with, with my enjoyment in the sport. And then they end up coming around to realizing, okay, that would, that's enjoyable. But you know, it, it would be enjoyable to to maximize my potential now and see how good I can be. That's what happened to her. So that was a big realization moment. And then, as far as training goes, it sounds to me like consistent quality training was the secret, uh, and perhaps not not competing, you know, but being. It sounded like it was kind of a day-to-day, like just she thought about how she felt each day. She thought about the challenge in front of her. Coach gives me the workout. I just go and do it, and I try to get better each day, day by day. That's a, a great approach. You know, she's not someone who, like in her head, could tell you the specifics of her volume and all those specific workouts. She knew, yeah, about 35 miles a week and lots of 200s. So clearly focusing on kind of speed work actually reminded me a lot of my Bemidji state training and the mindset there as well. For me, I kind of came in 520 miler, left as a 429 miler in one winter, and we did 40 miles a week maybe, and... Um, you know, there was no workouts prescribed for like Sunday and or no, I yeah, it wasn't a lot, but, but we had, you know, three speed workouts a week, practically different types of speed. One was kind of mid, five by one K one would be, you know, like 15 by 200. And then sometimes there was even like a tempo run, you know, out there as well. And that worked really well for me. I, you know, you get your workouts for the week. You kind of peg those moments, and you just sort of day by day assess how you feel. You get you are tough in the workouts. You push yourself, and you just feel that that insane growth. And it's fun and exciting and exhilarating. And it kind of brings you to the workout new each day. So Emily obviously had a year like that where where that was the secret. Is I think it had less to do honestly with the exact type of training, more so with the combination of her new focus and. And the type of training and then the ability to improve because if she comes into the the year now, like if she's a 413 athlete, right? I don't think she can go, all right, I'm just going to keep doing 35 miles a week and 200s and I'll go from 413 to 358. I don't think that's going to work at all. Like I think that that was the perfect training for her to go from a 5-minute or 455 girl to a 413 girl. So kind of similar to me, honestly, 520 down to 429 for a guy it was like, yeah, that was probably the perfect amount of training for me and the right focus allowed for good recovery. It was quality. Uh, but then, you know, when I kind of grew into my next stages of running, I did definitely up the mileage and, and improve my fitness from there. So it'd be interesting. Like, I don't know what Emily's goals are moving forward. If she's like, Hey, I'm going to try and go pro, see what happens. Um, she's also, I think run 202 in the 800. So um, but I, but I think, you know, wow, we've got some untapped potential here. You know, maybe if she is running 60 to 80 miles a week and doing more serious workouts, a structured plan, sounds to me like she has her mind in a good balanced place and she knows how to eat right and sleep right. And that was the other thing she mentioned was like, You can't parrot my training and go, okay, 35 miles a week is all I need. You have to do the other things that I do too. And she said, you know, I sleep, I sleep a lot. I sleep well. I eat right, right? You could tell she's, she just does all those little things too, to make her training benefit her. So that's kind of the lesson is, uh, I think is your mindset has to be in a good place to, to foster improvement and competitive spirit, you have to have a training plan that is effective and provides for quality improvement and quality stimulus. Well, you also have to live a lifestyle that allows that training to benefit you through eating and recovery. And, um, and then, you know, you can, you can hit that, that stream of improvement that kind of intoxicates you to love the sport for a lifetime. And I think the next thing for Emily will be challenging is can you continue to be introspective with yourself and go, okay, that worked that year, but I think, you know, I'm going to need to to, um, continue to do something to give my body a stimulus, which might require either adding more, doing something different, um, adding, adding harder workouts or different types of workouts, right? And, and it would remain to be seen. Like the part that she showed to me that was frustrating was a little bit, I sort of doubt that athlete as being someone who, maybe is capable of looking at it that way she seems kind of like she could be the type of person that goes hey i'm just gonna do this 35 miles 200s because that's what i did it worked and then she'll ride that out realize she can't really improve much from it and go well i guess this is my peak you know versus kind of the never never ending she does i can't decide if she has like that that center core to her of of ultimate resiliency and toughness where it's like I am going to be an Olympic champion. No one's going to stop me. And I'm not saying that everyone has to have that. Like, Emily maybe doesn't have that, and that is also to her benefit. She seems almost like the person who has benefited from having a little more of a type B mentality and, and a balance in her life. Like, it, it almost made it so she didn't improve at all in college, but it ultimately led to her improving greatly. So lesson there for all of us two type Aers who are like, oh yeah, you're never going to maximize your potential. Sometimes having a, a touch of balance in things can be the secret to get you over the edge. All right, so I think that's all of the sports talk for today on this show. I guess I'll have to decide, is this a skiologians podcast? Is this a Cedar Skier podcast? Not really sure, but I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed our rambling dissertations on all these different topics. As always, keep on striving. We'll see you next time.